0: dangerous, is it really, to ignore God or just forget about him? Answer, it can be very deadly. At that moment, when Jesus gave up the ghost in Jerusalem, an earthquake rocked the city and rent the veil of the temple in two. Now, I could take more time and talk about the Savior's agony on the cross and what crucifixion means and what it does, but I just don't have the time. Suffice it to say, somewhere around three o'clock in the afternoon, the Savior finally said, Father, it is finished. Thy will is done. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. The moment he died, an earthquake rent Jerusalem and the sky was darkened. That's not all. If you know the scriptures in total, that moment affected the whole earth, indeed, even the universe. President John Taylor, in his book, Mediation and Atonement, said, His suffering affected universal nature. World upon world, eternal things, hang on thy anguish, King of Kings. When he gave up the ghost, still quoting, the solid rocks were riven, the foundations of the earth trembled, and all material things were convulsed with the throes of seeming dissolution. Thus, such was the torturing pressure of this intense, this indescribable agony, meaning in the Savior, that it burst forth abroad beyond the confines of his body and convulsed all nature and spread through all space. End of quote. That comes from Mediation and Atonement, page 28. As you understand, in the Americas, that devastation was far worse. There arose a storm the likes of which had never before been seen. It came suddenly with hurricane-force winds, lightning and thunder so violent that it seemed the earth would be ripped apart. Not only were the heavens violently rent, but so too was the earth. Where once there had been mountains, there became valleys. Where once the earth and its crust were solid, they were fractured into fragments, seams, and cracks— That would never mend. The sea, too, heaved itself beyond its bounds, swallowing men and cities in a moment. The capital city of the Nephites, Zarahemla, took fire and was destroyed. The city of Moroni sunk into the sea. Earthquakes and upheavals swallowed the city of Moroniha on the eastern shore." For three hours that seemed like eternity, the devastation across the Americas continued. When it was over, 17 major Nephite cities across the Americas were destroyed. Thousands, perhaps millions of people were killed. Then a thick, enveloping mist of darkness settled upon the whole of the Americas. So total in its blackness, that no glimmer of light could be seen and no fire could be lit. For three days it would enshroud the land, claiming even more victims. Out of the darkness, mingled with the rending noises of the earth, came the cries of survivors. Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day. Then would our brethren have been spared. And then... Out of the darkness came the voice of the Savior himself announcing to all who yet lived, perhaps on both sides of the veil, the extent of the destruction. Every soul was pierced by his voice as he invited them now to repent and return unto him. How oft would I have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. And then, on the morning of the third day, light dawned in the east. The groaning of the earth ceased, and those yet alive rejoiced in their lives and praised the Lord. And this was only the beginning. These ancients invite us now to repent and come unto Christ now before he suddenly comes to us and we're not prepared. The Lord's preparations for us, his atonement, culminated on that Sunday morning so long ago in the garden of the empty tomb when he was first seen by Mary Magdalene. This story, my friends, illustrates the miracle of the resurrection and represents in part that joy of reunion that will come to all on the morning of the first resurrection. Mary Magdalene is a most blessed woman. Come with me to the Holy Land and let me take you to Magdala, where she lived. But Before God exalts and blesses, he always brings low into humility. Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary came with other women to complete the anointing of the Lord's body. The stone, to their surprise, was already rolled back and his body, as you know, was gone. Angels greeted them and instructed them, the women, to go and tell his disciples that he was risen. Well, they set out to tell the disciples, but evidently they did not understand what that meant. Mary Magdalene ran to tell Peter, while evidently the other women went to tell the other disciples scattered throughout the city. Peter and John received the news from Mary Magdalene, and immediately ran to the tomb john outran peter but stopped at the door peter burst through the door of the empty tomb and indeed the master was gone but where the two apostles left the sepulcher but mary stood outside weeping as she had already been doing for so many hours, days since his death. His disappearance, not understood now from the tomb, is one more devastating blow to a heart already broken. Again, she has lost him. The Jews, it appears to her now, the Jews out of hate and spite, have stolen his body, or at least that's what she thinks. Weeping, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Two angels in white asked her, Woman, why weepest thou? Her answer revealed her anguish. Listen, because they have taken away the body of my Lord, And I know not where they have laid him. You see, she thinks someone has stolen the body. At this point, Mary turned around and saw someone standing nearby, but she didn't recognize who it was. The Savior comprehended her tears, her pain, and was moved with compassion. And he said, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She thought him to be the gardener, the man with authority over these grounds. And thinking perhaps he might have been the one that moved the body, she said, sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. In other words, if he has no right to be here, tell me where he is, And I will take responsibility for him. As she said that, she turned back and looked once more into the empty tomb. And then Jesus said, Mary. Mary turned, and suddenly she recognized him. And light, and joy, and love flooded into her soul like a torrent, as exquisite as had been her pain and grief moments before. So now was her joy. And she cried, Rabboni! Rabboni means Master, Lord. I can hear her voice as she said it. Overcome then with emotion, Mary ran to the Savior, desiring to hold him and express with her arms what she feels in her heart. She had lost him once on the cross, and again when she thought his body was stolen. Never, never will she let him go again. But Jesus comprehended her heart and said, Hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. The King James Version says, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But the Joseph Smith Translation changes that one word and helps us comprehend. Hold me not. Now, that same day, other women would hold Jesus by the feet. But Mary was forbidden to hold him, not because of her touch, but because of her heart's intent. Hold me not, for I've not yet ascended to my father. Or in other words, Mary, you can't keep me here. I can't stay. I have to leave. To you, who loved the Lord. Mary was the first to see him. She would not be the last. And the apostles of that day would not be the last. And the 500 plus would not be the last. And the 2,500 plus in the Americas would not be the last. And though initially, Even the apostles had a hard time believing what Mary said until they saw for themselves. So it is now. There are those now who know just as surely as Mary did that Jesus lives and has risen from the tomb. They know it as sure as they know that they live, and the world does not believe nor accept their testimony either. But in time, every knee shall bow, And every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ, the resurrected living Lord and Savior. Mary's reunion with him gives us just a glimpse of what it will be like for you who have loved him and lived your whole lives proving that love. You will see him again and you will see those you love and meet them again before his bar. Now, may we live for it. The Lord rose from the tomb. and Shortly after, so did many more. Please consider. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I just described, completed his atoning work. It finished his preparations, and as we learned today in conference, was the greatest, most transcendent event in the history of this world. Those who witnessed his resurrection to flesh and bone numbered in the thousands and spanned the globe, as I told you a moment ago. There is a veritable cloud of witnesses who know of necessity the resurrection of Christ was one of the most well-attested events ever to transpire in the history of this world. And those witnesses continue down to this day. From the days of Father Adam, the atonement of Christ had been explained in detail to all of those people who lived before his time. Christ's resurrection, they were taught, would conquer death and open the grave for all. The valley of dry bones, seen by Ezekiel, would indeed come forth, and in perfected flesh and bone once more, Samuel the Lamanite foretold that others would come forth. That resurrection, the Savior and those who followed was to be a literal, corporeal, restoration to a perfection of life. Jesus was called the first fruits of resurrection. What of the fruit that came after? That's the story this seldom told and too often overlooked. The earthquake that accompanied the Savior's death in Jerusalem violently convulsed not only that land, but all the world, all across the globe. Picture it. The graves of the dead were thrown open. And after his resurrection, the bodies of the saints who were dead came forth, and they were many. In the Holy Land, the dead arose and actually came out of their graves, out of their tombs, and went into the city of Jerusalem and appeared and ministered to many. Matthew 27, 52, 53. Now, purely supposition on my part, but those ancients who came out of the tomb, who were the faithful and the righteous, who resurrected after him, to whom would they appear? Where would they go? Well, if it had been me, I would have gone to see my living family and assure them it's true. On the American continent, After the three days of darkness had ended and sometime after the Savior had risen, the bodies of the saints there too came forth, and they were many, and they too rose from their graves and appeared to many. And that's not the whole of it. We know that Jesus went and ministered among the lost tribes of Israel after his resurrection. And of course, did the dead similarly appear among them, among all his people of scattered Israel? Of course. On that first Easter, not only was it witnessed by many that he had risen, but also that others had risen because of him. And they will again. The story of his resurrection is, is sacred and central to our faith and hence belongs to us all while the stories of those individual saints and their resurrection is personal and is a part of their family history in eternity it stands documented and verified by witnesses aplenty that jesus is the living Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, with a body of flesh and bone, and that tomb, not figuratively, but literally, was empty. It also stands proven what the Master said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The dead rose, and so shall we. O death, where is thy sting? Or where is thy grief? Where is the pain? Where is the wound that won't heal? O death, where is thy sting? I think of all those of us who have been stung by death and will yet be, who have lost loved ones and still miss them, that sting is salved each time we consider the hope of a glorious resurrection your sting your pain will be healed forever on that day that he comes and he will when you consider it how many people have been affected by the events we are describing here the answer is innumerable, incalculable. Jesus is the Savior, not just of this world, but of worlds without number. And if one could begin to number the earth, there would be billions out there, paraphrasing Moses. And on them, innumerable children of God. And yet each soul is saved by him one by one. As Elder Christopherson said today, tongue-in-cheek, there is no such thing as baptizing a roll of microfiche for the dead, as convenient as that would be. No. Salvation is one by one, each in turn. After the Savior's resurrection, he led his disciples out to the Mount of Olives, where he was taken up in a cloud and received out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. And we live for that day when Jesus Christ will descend in power and great glory. However, what many do not know, nor believe, nor care, is that this was not the last time the Master's feet touched this earth. Sometime after his ascension, there was a large group of his disciples gathered together at Bountiful in the Americas. These, too, were his people. They were, as you recall, Third Nephi chapter 11, gathered at the temple, discussing all that had transpired when suddenly they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven. They looked around but could not understand what it was saying. Yet the voice pierced them to the very center, not with its volume, but with its power causing their hearts to burn and their bodies to quake all over. Something like the voice of Russell M. Nelson today and yesterday. The voice came again, and again, they did not understand it. When it came the third time, they were given to understood and looked up, and behold, the voice said, Behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name, hear ye him. As they looked up, they saw a man, clothed in a white robe and descending out of heaven. He came down and stood in the midst of them. No one spoke. They thought it was an angel. He stretched out his hand and said, Behold, I am Jesus Christ whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. And they knew him and remembered that it had been prophesied that Christ should show himself unto them after his resurrection and ascension into heaven. And every one of them fell to the earth in the deepest of humility. Arise, he bid them, and come forth unto me. That you may thrust your hands into my side and also that you may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet that ye may know that i am the god of israel and the god of the whole earth and have been slain for the sins of the world each of them one by one went forth and touched those sacred wounds until they had all gone forth. Every person saw, every person felt, and every person knew of a certainty that he was Jesus the Christ. So overwhelming was that moment for them that in unison, they cried out in perfect spiritual harmony, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the most high God. And once more, they fell at his feet and worshiped him. All their lives, they had lived for him, waited for him, and now at last, He was here. And one by one, one at a time, he had time for them. I ask you, will his kindness and compassion for the faithful, you, be any less at his second coming? No. Last story. After all that has been said and done by the Savior to finish his preparations to the children of men, after all he's done for us, what now is our duty? This next story describes, in part but in large measure, what I believe we are to do with the gifts the Lord has given us. Fanny Humphreys was a talented yet humble young woman who cultivated from a young age a desire to love and serve others in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fanny especially had a deep love for children, and she spent much of her life ministering to their needs. In 1846, Fanny helped establish a school for deaf and dumb children. She helped set up institutions to assist nurses and even labored without judgment to minister to that shamed class that society so often shunned in that day, fallen women. She ministered to the care of the poor and needy, especially the children, all her life. Her kindness and indefatigable service live on in history to the present day. Long after she was gone, those who knew Fanny remembered her walking to the farthest reaches, carrying food, bringing love and cheer, and oft times returning home in the most inclement weather soaked through. Her motives in all of this were not for the honor and praise of the world. One writer said of her, quote, She was deaf to applause. But when someone wrote to tell of a great change in heart and life that had come to a worldly man through hearing this hymn sung, she sprang from her chair, exclaiming, Thank God, I do like to hear that. End of quote. Those, however, who knew her best, that felt as beautiful as her hymns are, her life was more beautiful still. End of quote. You see, from the time Fanny was just a child, she loved to write. Encouraged by her father and later in her life, her husband, Fanny Humphreys would compose more than 400 hymns Her first book of hymns was for children. It was titled, Hymns for Little Children. The proceeds of that first book were used to help the needy. Fanny's desire was to bring souls to Christ, to teach in so simple and plain a way the doctrines of Christ that children could understand. Fanny understood that to teach a child, you must first capture their imagination with the picturesque and then teach in the simplest of terms. One of Fanny's most enduring and beloved hymns was reportedly written by the bedside of a sick child. It was an inspired effort to help explain why the Savior had to die, why it was necessary that the pure Son of Almighty God had to be crucified to save us all. It is believed that Fanny looked beyond the city walls of Derry, meaning Derry in today's Northern Ireland, and there saw in the Cregan Hills a green hill, far away and with that imagery she taught in powerful plainness the most eternally fundamental doctrine of them all the atonement of the lord jesus christ it has been called the most perfect hymn in the english language fanny wrote there is a green hill far away without a city wall where the dear lord was crucified who died to save us all fanny humphreys grew up to be cecil francis alexander the bishop's wife and a faithful servant of the lord she loved she lived these very words that she wrote oh dearly dearly has he loved and we must love him too and trust in his redeeming blood and try his works to do. She died in 1895 very much beloved by all those upon whom she did the Lord's work. She was buried in Derry Cemetery on that very green hill far away that she wrote of awaiting the day of a glorious resurrection on oh, by the way the other hymn for which she is most known written by cecil francis alexander we sing it today he is risen the spiritual anthem of easter Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at GlenRossonStories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.